Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Justin Craig. I'm the family minister here at Windsor Road. And uh, before we jump into uh, all that this is going to be this morning, I wanted to share with you what I got the opportunity to do last week. Uh, we have a picture of it. This is a picture of CIY Mix. CIY is a conference, uh, Christ in Youth. Uh, they put on conferences all across the country. We took eight of our middle schoolers from Windsor Road uh, up there this last week where we saw 500 middle schoolers and a little over 100 uh, leaders in the room worshiping and praising uh, God. Uh, we talked all week long about being kingdom workers, about joining in God's rhythm. And we got done with the end of the week, and, you know, we started to wrap things up. We started to debrief with the kids a little bit, and we're like, what's been your favorite part? And so they came to me, and they asked me what my favorite part was, and I said, I said, at these conferences, I like to stand as we worship and listen. Because the, the idea of listening to 500 middle schoolers proclaim that they are no longer a slave to fear, but that they are a child of God makes me excited about what the church is going to look like. And it's not, just, it's not just our church, but the church universal. Makes me excited about where the church is going to go. And I believe that the church will be far better off the quicker we give our kids and students more responsibility, more ownership, and more leadership opportunities. Not just to be the church of tomorrow, but to enhance the church today. That was what I got to do last week. My week was better than yours. I win. Okay? <laughs> Let me pray and we'll jump in. God, thank you so much for this morning being in your presence. God, being able to sing to you. Uh, Lord, uh, let not just our voices be singing to you, but let our hearts and our minds, uh, our thoughts and our actions uh, be singing praise to you and who you are. Uh, God, thanks for loving us uh, no matter what we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my wife and I just celebrated 10 years of marriage this last Friday. Quite the accomplishment. <laughs> I know she deserves a medal of honor. Uh, she, I mean, to be cooped up in a house. We've, we've lived in eight different places. You know, it's just a lot going on in 10 years. We've got three kids. Just a lot going on in 10 years. Now, when we were 18 years old, we dated all through high school, high school sweethearts. When we were 18 years old, she uh, had me come over for my birthday. I was turning 18. She had me come over for my birthday to her, to her parents' house where she made me dinner. And I knew after dinner that it was going to be the time where, where I was going to marry this girl because she not only made me dinner, she bought me Cubs tickets for like the next couple of days, all right? So we were going to watch the Cubs play the Houston Astros, and I was like, will you, will you marry me? And she's like, well, probably not yet, but you know, at, at some point, sure. But I was so excited, right? Because, because here's, here's the thing you need to know about my family uh, growing up. We were very boring. Uh, everything they did that was fun happened before Justin. It was, it was B, you know, before Justin happened, all right? And uh, so they had gone to Cubs games before, and then, oh, here's Justin. Whoops. Okay, well, well, we're not doing that anymore. We're not going to have any fun. We did not go downtown Chicago, Okay? I had never been to a Cubs game. I grew up 65 miles west of Chicago in Rockford, Illinois, and we never went to a Cubs game. I was a little excited, to say the least, that I was going to finally get this opportunity. Now, growing up in Rockford, I had driven through what I thought was heavy traffic. Um, <laughs> traffic in Chicago is more like a jar of jelly. 
I'm making this up as I go right now. It's more like a jar of jelly. You tip it over and nothing moves out. You shake it up a little bit. It doesn't move at all. It's just frustrating, okay? It's just terribly, terribly frustrating. And so I'm driving as an 18-year-old downtown towards, towards Wrigley Field. I've got my MapQuest directions. Anybody remember MapQuest? Anybody? Yeah. Does anybody still use it? Because we, oh, now see, here's what, we will cast out demons at the end of the service in the fireside room. Because Google Maps is where it's at now. But, but MapQuest should have died a long time ago and did not. We're still printing out directions. But we had printed out this map, and then it gave me, like, the streets to turn on. It's like West 205th Street Avenue Court. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, I, I don't understand Chicago at all. And so we're getting closer because there's all these people standing out there with signs, like, tilting their signs back and forth, going, hey, park here, park here. Oh, $20 parking. I'm like, $20? grief. I got to buy nachos and ice cream and a little helmet. I can't spend $20 on parking. So we are getting closer and closer and I'm finally going, okay, we need to find a spot to park now or, or we're going to end up turning around and be on, we're going to be back in Rockford before we know it. And so, so we, we come up and there's this guy that like is just aggressive. He stands out in the street and he's like, I got parking. I got parking. And I'm like, what a nice guy. He's got a parking spot for me. So I pull in, I roll down the window. I'm like, how much is it? He's like, oh, we'll take care of you. I'm like, well, good. He's like, do you want easy out? I'm like, that sounds like something we want to have happen. Yeah, because who knows what people do after Cubs games. And so it's like, well, yeah, I want easy out. That'd be great. So we pull into this little bit larger than an alley. And uh, we, we park and there's another guy standing there. And then there's a bunch of cars behind us. And as soon as the gate opens up at the end of the game, yeah, I'll be able to I'll be the first one out. This is a great idea. So I get out, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to play this all cool, you know, I'm gonna, which is my specialty if you didn't know that already. Okay, I'm going to play this all cool. I'm going to give him a little donation. You know, that was so nice of him to stand in the middle of the road and then pull me into this beautiful parking spot. We're a block away from Wrigley. This is going to be awesome. We get out, and I walk over to the guy, and I'm like, hey, man, how much can I pay you for the parking spot? He's like, $45? I'm like, oh. <gasps> I get out somebody else's inhaler because I don't have one and just start using it and everything. And I'm just like, $45? You see, in, this, in the hustle and bustle of Chicago, I'm like, well, I should park somewhere, right? So I pull into this spot. Not, not any knowledge to me that it's going to cost me double what I thought was too expensive. So we pay the guy. We enter into the game and have a great time. Come back out. It was easy out because there wasn't anybody there watching my car. And he said, $45. I'm like, is Sammy Sosa going to sign my car? Or what's happening here? It's 2002, right? I mean, come on. But the hustle and bustle of that moment was overwhelming to say the least. There was a lot going on in the moment. I just wanted to go with the flow. I was just trying to get by. I was embracing the noise that was happening around me so that I could get to this experience. You see, each of us has noise that happens in our day, every, in our life every day. We start going with the flow, we, we continue to get by, and we continue embracing the noise to withstand this experience that we're on. See, we become okay with being on the go. We are numb to busyness. We become emotionless in a state of constant motion. The noise surrounds us, and we develop a mindset where we believe that the noise is actually important, that the noise communicates urgency, and we do nothing but buy into it. If you have your Bibles, we're going to set up shop in, in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. If you did not bring your Bible, if you don't have one and there's one sitting in front of you, uh, it is on page 869. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and there's one sitting in front of you, take that home. 
Like if you don't have one to keep at your house, take that one home. Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version today. This is what our scripture says. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. This morning, we're going to unpack the noise that bound Martha to her to-do list. And we're going to look at the necessary that bound Mary to Jesus. Now, this next phrase is a little bit wordy, so I thought we'd put it up on here. It's in your notes, but I think it's important for us to understand that our interpretation of the urgent will have a direct impact on how we see Jesus' definition of the important. Let me say that again. Our interpretation of the urgent will have a direct impact on how we see Jesus' definition of the important. You see, urgency will always be loud. It will always be deafening. It will always be noisy. And too often we become trapped by the noisy when all we need is what is necessary. So as we look at our scripture this morning, we're going to look at the noise that's happening. You see, Martha welcomed Jesus and his disciples into her home in a gracious and compassionate moment of hospitality. Now, we don't know how many disciples are with Jesus at this point. See, just a few verses before, Jesus had sent out 72 disciples to go out in pairs, to go ahead of him into the cities where he was going. So there could have been quite a crowd with him, but we don't know how many are with him, but we know he's not traveling alone. Martha invites them in, and she begins to prepare an evening for Jesus. She gets wrapped up in what she believes to be urgent. She gets consumed with her to-do list. She gets wrapped up in the noise. None of us have ever been like that, right? Invite people over and then, oh, quick, we got to shove everything in our closets. Don't open the closet. Hey, welcome to our house. <laughs> I didn't share this first service, but I will now. It's out of my notes because this is always a good spot to go. Um, so we, we uh, used to belong to a small group here at the church, and one of the small group families had a decal on their wall as you came in, and it said, sorry for the mess, our kids are making memories. I just like that so much. But too often we are so embarrassed by our mess that we miss what Jesus is going to do. There's three things that noise does to us. Noise makes us curious. If I hear something fall in the middle of the night that wakes me up out of my sleep, I'm curious, I'm grabbing my bat, and I'm curious. Noise also makes us wander. As I was writing this out, as I was, as I was walking through this, this, this scripture, as I was walking through this lesson, I was working from home one day because we were having the kitchen floors redone in our house. I think Jesus was laughing a little bit as I'm writing a sermon about noise and they are ripping up stuff and nailing stuff down and it felt like it was never going to end. But noise makes us wander, right? It makes us wander. It's, it's not, it's not, it doesn't keep us in one spot. If I hear something in the other room, I want to make sure that everybody's okay. It makes me get up from where I am and go to something different. Noise makes us distracted. I remember being in Little League Baseball. In the Rockford Pony League, I was in a league called Pinto. 
It's where the coach pitches you the ball. Have you guys, have you guys seen this? You guys know what we're talking about? The coach, your coach, stands out on the mound and looks at you and throws you the ball as softly and easily as he can. There is a boy standing next to him that will field the ball as it comes back. Okay, so coach and I, you know, I'm still looking for my first hit. I remember this is the first couple of games of the season, and I'm still looking for my first hit. Now, at that age, I could... I could field a ground ball, I could catch a fly ball, I could throw it to first base, which is more than a lot of the kids could do, but I couldn't hit the ball unless it was a beach ball and I had a tennis racket, okay? It was just ugly, okay? So I, I get up there, I remember this, I remember this at bat so vividly. I remember, I remember I get up there, coach goes, all right, slugger. I'm like, who are you calling slugger? Look at me, I'm not, I'm not slugger, okay? You just don't know my name. It's all right, all right? So I get up to bat, I'm like, he's like, all right, slugger, you ready? I'm like, you bet I am. He's like, you need to step in the box, right? So I step into the batter's box and I'm all set. First pitch comes in. Nothing. Swing and a miss. Just a nice gentle breeze on a hot summer day. Okay, now the next one, I'm, I'm even more ready. I'm actually in the batter's box. I am ready to go. Pitch comes in. No, swing and a miss. And it's just like, this is going to get ugly quickly. Okay, so the third one, I am determined. Okay, I am glaring down my coach like he is the worst enemy, even though he's my coach. Okay, so I'm glaring down my coach. He throws the ball in, and I close my eyes, and I swing as hard as I can, and I hit the ball. It was amazing, okay? It's like one of those hits. If you've ever played baseball, softball, or golf, you understand that hit where you barely feel it a little bit come off your club or your bat. It's just beautiful. I hit it, and I knew it was solid, so I took off running towards first base. No idea where it was, okay? It could have been at the catcher's mitt. I had no idea where it was, but I was running as, you know, just as quickly as possible, okay? I get down to first base. I'm there. Nobody's tagged me. The ball has not been thrown. I'm safe, and nobody's there to celebrate with me, and I'm like, what? happened where is everybody and all of a sudden like I, I hear some screaming happening from the pitcher's mound and then there's then there's parents that come rushing onto the field all of a sudden and and I'm like what is going like normally my mom screams if I'm just in the game like she's excited about it and nobody's cheering for me I just got a, my first hit in baseball ever it's so great and and so I turn around I say hey coach what what happened and he goes well Um, so the boy on the mound, he, uh, well, he was distracted. He was looking over onto the other diamond, and you hit a line drive that hit him square in the mouth. And that's why he's bleeding all over the place. And I was like, Coach, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. He's like, I know you didn't mean to. I'm like, can I ask you a question? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, am I still safe? <laughs> can I, I mean, he's not throwing the ball. Can I keep running? He's like, no, the umpire called timeout. There's my competitive nature coming out going, ain't nobody tagged me yet. I can go, right? I mean, but the kid was distracted. And now that I reflect on that story so many years later, there's some big life lessons found in that story that being distracted can leave us in places that we don't want to be in. Being distracted will narrow our vision as to what is coming next. And being distracted will always knock us down physically, emotionally, mentally, and especially spiritually. So if we took the time and we sat down, maybe as a family or maybe as a couple, uh, and we, we started to list out the things that distract us, okay? We could go through lots of different things. We could go through our phone. Maybe we are having problems with our siblings. Maybe we're having problems with our husband or wife. Maybe we are having problems with our parents. Maybe we are having problems with getting our kids to practice on time. And the fact that dinner comes every single day, every single day there's dinner that happens, Okay? There's lots of things that we can mark down in our list of distractions that happen. But I think we might be a little hard-pressed to write down the name Satan on our list. 
When in reality, that's the devil's job, right? The devil's job is to lie to us. The devil's job is to distract us from what God can do in us and through us. The devil is here to not just distract us from things, but distract us from his work. You see, we see tragic events that plague our nation and our world, and we tend to blame it on one person or one group of people or one race or one religion. But we have to be reminded of what the Apostle Paul warns about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our distractions are born out of the devil's plans. Satan is real, he is active, he, is, he gets personal, he is persistent, he gets noisy, he wants us distracted, he wants us to feel that the urgent needs to be first when in fact that's Jesus' place. This is so easy to forget when the distractions pile up, when the noise gets really loud and when we start working so hard for ourselves instead of for our king. Maybe you're like me and it's hard to shut work off when you get home. I love what I do. I mean, I got paid to go to a conference with a bunch of kids and play basketball and dodgeball all week. Who else gets to do that besides gym teachers, right? I mean, this is awesome. This is so great. But it's hard for me to shut off work when I get home. Maybe you're like me and you kind of enjoy the distractions because it's helpful to forget about the inner demons you struggle with. Maybe you are like me and you like the noise in your life because the silence will drive you to actually pay attention. Maybe you're like me and you let your serving get in the way of whom you are serving. The busyness that's bad is not the busyness of work, but the busyness that works hard at the wrong things. This was Martha's problem. You see, too often we listen to the noise instead of the need. Martha serves Jesus to make Martha feel better, not to make Jesus feel welcomed. Martha is serving out of anxiety, not grace or love. We constantly feel the need to measure up. We feel the need to stand out. We want others' approval, but the problem is, is that the desire of approval dresses up like the desire to serve. This is important, and I want to make sure that we understand this. This, I felt like, was something that was put on my heart just a few weeks ago, and, and I want to make sure that we communicate this well this morning. We do not need to impress Jesus we need to be impressed by Jesus. We do not need to impress Jesus by our perfection because we're never going to reach that. We do not need to impress Jesus. We need to be impressed by Jesus. And the only way to be impressed by Jesus is to know him. And that's exactly what Mary took the time to do. Maybe you're like, Mar maybe you're like Martha and you let the noise, the distractions, and the busyness of your schedule get in the way of what you invited Jesus in to do in the first place. You see, our interpretation of the urgent answers the question of what or who is king right now. Urgency will always say that the right now is more important than the forever. Urgency makes something other than Jesus king. Noise challenges us from Jesus being king to Jesus being a king. Distractions allow Satan a chance to dig up our roots, focus on the right now, and make us believe that our life is all about our performance. We understand the noise that we live in. We understand the busyness that we consume ourselves with. But Jesus says that there is something that is necessary. 
So when we go back to our scripture and we look, at, we look at what else Jesus wants us to know here. See, Martha was distracted by much serving and approached Jesus to complain about Mary not lifting a finger. She said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And I love this because, because in, in the original context of this, of this scripture right here, Martha was actually believing that Jesus was going to be like, yeah, you're right. She was believing that she was going to get a positive response out of Jesus, but instead Jesus says, Martha... Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. We said earlier that noise makes us curious, it makes us wander, it makes us distracted. But when we, when we consume ourselves with what is necessary, it gives us rest for our souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest I don't think there's any one of us in here that is not weary and burdened. We all need Jesus. See, when we live in the necessary, it offers us a new life to replace what was old. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So when we live in the necessary, it gives us rest for our souls. It gives us new life and new purpose. But it provides us with someone who will fight our battles for us and with us. See, Martha was troubled and anxious about many things, but Mary chose the one thing that is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. The portion of the scripture that I love most this morning is what Mary says in reply. Some of you guys are looking down going, what does she say? She says nothing. She does not speak a single word in our scripture this morning. Generally, if somebody comes and they hurl an insult at us or they accuse us of doing something or not doing something, we charge back to defend ourselves and defend our actions. But Mary, Mary sits. Mary continues to rest. Why? Because, because she knows that Jesus will validate her action. This is exactly what Jesus does for us on the cross. He does not validate our action, but he definitely validates our DNA. You see, despite that we are filled to the brim with sin, he still says that we are made in the image of God, and that matters. Jesus' death was meant for us. Jesus came to take our place. Jesus came to fight a battle that only he could win. Jesus came to be the hero that we would never be for ourselves. When Jesus was on the cross and he shouts, it is finished, he is finishing an act of love that we don't deserve, that we cannot earn, and that we desperately need. See, Jesus' definition of the important is found in Matthew 22, 37. There's some teachers of the law and Pharisees and Sadducees that are asking Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Trying to trip up Jesus to get him to be arrested for saying something that's false. So they ask him a question and Jesus knows their intentions and he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is Jesus' definition of the important. You see, Mary chose what was necessary. Mary chose the important. Mary chose to know Jesus. Martha wanted Jesus to see her hospitality. Mary wanted Jesus to see her availability. Let 
Mary was trying to preserve her relationship while Martha was trying to preserve her reputation. You see, and Martha's only following the present day protocol of being hospitable when somebody comes into your home. It would have been a huge shock to the entire system of the society if a woman welcomed men into her home and then sat with the men in the house. See, it was customary back then that women were just barely above the importance of a child. And so it was, just, it was just a crazy idea for Mary to, to welcome Jesus into her home and then sit at the Lord's feet and listen. And Martha, she comes to Jesus and she says, what on earth are you doing? This is not what you are supposed to be doing. And Jesus defends her. He stands up for her because Mary didn't care what this made her look like. Mary was so enthralled, so excited, and so captivated that she neglected the present-day form of hospitality and sat at the feet of, Lord, feet of the Lord to listen. The one major thing that Martha, Martha misses is that Jesus is not looking as much for servants as he is looking for sons and daughters. In Martha's eagerness to serve Jesus, she almost missed the opportunity to know Jesus. See, he wants us to serve out of response to his goodness, not serve to earn his goodness. So let me be clear with what I'm saying. Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, Crazy Busy, that quote should be, there, there it is. It's not wrong to be tired. It's not wrong to feel overwhelmed. It's not wrong to go through seasons of complete chaos. I have three kids under the age of six at home. They're all girls. I'm the only boy in my house. We understand chaos. It's not wrong to go through seasons of complete chaos. What is wrong and heartbreakingly foolish is to live a life with more craziness than we want because we have less Jesus than we need. So what do we do? How do we combat the, the noisy, the busy? How do we move from the urgent into the important. What do we need to do? The first thing is, is that we need to want Jesus more than a completed to-do list. You see, we have become more gratified with the completion than we are with the Christ. We have become less satisfied with our relationship and more satisfied with our reputation and how we look to others. We need to want Jesus more than we want a completed to-do list. The second thing that we need to do is we need to evaluate the current noise level and we need to kill something. I love this quote. It comes from a blog. I can't remember which one. Uh, but noise makes mainly unnecessary tasks feel completely urgent. Noise makes, un makes mainly unnecessary tasks feel completely urgent. And this noise will always drive us away from what is important. Again, Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, Crazy Busy, one reason we never tame the busyness beast is because we are unwilling to kill anything. We rearrange our schedule and tighten up our brakes, but nothing improves because we haven't pruned anything yet. You see, God expects us to say no to things that are really good so that we can say yes to the things that are great that he has to offer us. We need to evaluate the current noise level and we need to kill something. The third and final thing we need to do is we need to make the necessary completely necessary. 
Because no one else will put time with the Lord on your to-do list. No one else will put time with the Lord on your to-do list. Everybody else will pile lots of things on your list. Your kids, maybe your parents, maybe your siblings, maybe your spouse, maybe your job. They will pile things more and more and more onto your to-do list. But you will be hard-pressed to find someone that will put time with the Lord on your list. And so we need to fight, we need to defend, and we need to battle against anything that comes in and tells us that the necessary is optional. Because it's not. The best thing about Jesus is that he does not require our perfection. He only requires our attention. We do not have to have this all figured out to come before the Lord and say, God, I need you. Mary knew that the state of her house was not as important as the state of her soul. And so she sat at the feet of the Lord. Now this is not to say that we are not supposed to be involved in things. This is not to say that, that you need to cut everything out of your life and become a hermit. Right? I use that right, right? Her, hermit? Is that right? No? Some people are shaking their heads, so we'll go with you guys. All right. You're not supposed to just hide under a rock. That's not the way we're supposed to work. We're Christians. We're supposed to be out. We are disciples of Christ. We're supposed to be out sharing his message with everyone we come in contact with. This is not saying drop everything you're doing, but make Jesus the most important. Jesus doesn't want to just be a part of your to-do list. He wants to be at the top. He wants to be number one. And we need him to be that way for us to function well. So we do not have to have everything figured out to come to know Jesus. He does not require our perfection, only our attention. And so I ask, are we running to the feet of Jesus or are we just running? Do we even know where we are running to? Are we choosing distractions over what is good? Are we choosing the noise over the necessary? Are we choosing the urgent over the important? See, what is urgent is over quickly and we generally rush through it. Urgency makes us believe that we need Jesus and something else. And let me just be clear that if you feel like your relationship with Jesus is urgent, then you need to pause and you need to remember that it's not urgent, but it's important. You need to make Jesus a part of your every day. Not when it's convenient, but every single day. See, what is important turns into what is necessary. We cannot live without what is necessary. The important draws us to believe that we need Jesus and nothing else. This is a picture of my three-year-old, and that is not my child ID, so somebody needs to take care of that. This is a picture of my three-year-old, Violet. We are at the 4th of July. You can laugh. It's a funny picture. We are at the 4th of July parade uh, here in Champaign. And if I stand there, I get, oh, that noise out of that speaker. That's what I get. And uh, I love this picture for two reasons. One, the headphones were pretty new, and so they smashed her face a little bit, and I think it's hilarious. Every time I look at this picture, I smile. I don't know why. It's just funny. The second thing I love about this picture is that she's not anxious about the noise that she's going to hear at the parade. 
We bought these headphones because our kids are pretty sensitive to noise. We've never taken them to a movie. The only concert they've ever been to was inside their mom's belly. It was really loud. This may be why. But I remember when we first got the headphones. She was like, ah, I don't know that I want to wear them. I like covering my ears. But then we put them on her. We told her she didn't need to be afraid anymore. Because the noise was still there, but she was focused on other things. She was back to her old self with that goofy smile. She says just the funniest things. The other day, we were like, Violet, I need a kiss. She's like, I'm all out. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who have you been kissing? <laughs> She's back to her goofy self with these headphones on. Because when... When the noise gets canceled in our lives, we become who we were made to be. I love that picture. See, the noise only becomes smaller when Jesus becomes necessary. The noise only becomes smaller when Jesus becomes necessary. When we finally start to focus on our needs rather than our noise. When we finally start to use our feet for staying rather than hitting a stride. When we finally start to mesh with what we preach on Sunday and where we reach on Monday. When we finally start to act on our faith rather than act out our faith. Then and only then will we start to be impressed by Jesus again. So impressed that everything else seems faint. Everything else seems blurry. Everything else seems less urgent and Jesus becomes most important. Church family, I'm not asking you to, be, to, to make Jesus more important in your life today. I'm not asking you to make Jesus more important in your life. I'm asking Jesus, I'm asking you to make Jesus most important in your life today. Because that's when we can finally embrace what is necessary for us. If we're going to find rest, if we're going to find importance, if we're going to find our true identity and who Jesus is, then we have to be in Christ. We become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Because we are doing what is necessary for us. We have to want Jesus more than anything else. That's the only way to get through life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning.